0: Section Number 8 of An Itinerant House and Other Stories This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. I lay on my bed, dimly aware of a long, slow lapse of time. Was it of weeks, months, or years? I could not tell. Sometimes I saw the sunshine veer round the room and knew day after day passed, but not how many some of the boarders came and went to my dull senses like visions and dreams the french lady trim and straight nodded and twinkled past whiffs from the german professor's pipe curled near me the twinkle of the spanish lady's guitar rang faint and far eleanor's aunt had often shaken and smoothed my pillow but i did not know why nor how i came to be in this weak state of mind and body and no one spoke of it to me even after i could sit up Till one day Nora brought me a folded page of a notepaper, which, she said, fell from my clothes when I undressed the night I fainted, and she had kept it for me, because it had Miss Eleanor's writing on it. It was the lost pleiad. All my weight of woe dropped on me anew. I knew what star had fallen from my sky. You kept it from me all this time, I said, as I gave her some money. I suppose I was sick some weeks. Months, she answered. I sighed. How much in debt such long idleness and illness must have brought me, and I must have lost my chance for work in China. Letters must be written. I opened my desk. It had not been locked, and a pile of receipted board and doctor's bills I had never seen lay in it, with a letter dated the very day that Eleanor, that Noel, that I fell ill from Brand's friends on California Street. It told me that through his strong efforts I was given a place with them, which made sure the income I had longed for to let me marry and stay in my own country, they had kept the place waiting for me, and meanwhile paid my bills through brand's influence and I had killed my best friend, I gasped for air, opened the windows, and walked the room. I could trace my troubles all back to that infernal Siki hastily making ready, I stole out unseen and rushed to Tong Kolin sing. As I went in, his Tien Sien Lark was filling the room with its song standing on the floor of its cage, which was on the table in front of his master, who sat reading in his bamboo easy-chair. Tang Kul Singh was struck with the change in me and wished to talk of it. "'I must find Siki,' I said. "'In a field of melons, do not pull up your shoes,' said he. "'Under a plum tree do not adjust your cap.' If I go with you, it will look as if I knew where to find him. I do not. You can find him. You must hunt for him, I persisted. It was like talking to a blank wall. He was unmoved, except to ask, The lady is dead. I must find Siki. Quite shocked that I should be so straightforward, he said, She has ascended to the skies? I nodded impatiently. To what sublime region did she belong? he asked. I told him. I piled a heap of gold and silver on the table under his eyes. He spoke in high praise of her faith, but added, Religions are many. Reason is one. We are all brothers. While speaking, he put the money out of sight, hung up the birdcage, and opened his door. We searched parts of Chinatown which would have been barred to me without a Chinese comrade. Underground depths like the abysses near death. Upper stories and roofs of buildings that towered in airs if striving for space to breathe. Narrow, crooked alleys where loungers talked across the windows about the American straying there, and seemed to think I was led by Tonko Singh because in some way his prisoner. He offered odd trifles from the depths of his sleeves, in small pawnshops which held queer gatherings, pistols of all styles, daggers, even the fan stiletto. Clothes, beds and bedding, tea, sugar, clocks, china, and ornaments. He called on large warehouses where the heads of great firms met us, and behind huge jars the size of men, wrought silk screens, giant kites, odd baskets, and gay china. But not beyond the queer foreign scent of such stores, we were given rare tea in tiny cups, holding no more than our dessert spoons. He drew me through woodyards and vegetable gardens and over fish dryers' sheds all knew and looked up to kulin Singh as one who knew the written language but could not help him he went to the six companies but neither the nine yang which owns the most men in san francisco nor the sam yup which sends the most men to other states neither the hop wo nor the kong chow nor the other two nor the great wash-house company could or would tell us anything one after another he asked the throng of small curbstone dealers the pipe cleaners, cigarette rollers, vegetable or sweetmeat vendors, and cobblers, even the gutter snipes. At last, the cobbler who always sits on the south side of Clay Street, just below DuPont, told him something which I did not catch, but he heard with a start. He wavered and urged me to give up the search. I would not. He set off a new way and soon darted into an alley full of the grimy, blackened buildings which can never be used after the Chinese have lived in them whose dark horrors recalled some scene elsewhere known. In what past age? I saw around me only the signs of a civilization older than the pharaohs. I heard the twang and squeak of rude instruments which, two thousand years before, the three-stringed ribbick, sire of our violin, was heard in Italy, played in balmy tea-gardens, these same old songs of love, difficulty, and despair. Here crowded the strange buildings. Here crouched the quaint shadows of an oriental city known to me When? Where? In some dark-hued picture? As Tongkul and Sing started down some breakneck steps, I stopped a moment for breath and looked around me. A street lamp lighted a Chinese poster close to me, a signed and sealed notice from the Chinmook Sao Society, offering a thousand dollars, not for the taking of two offenders, but for their assassination. I shuddered and crawled down the narrow, shaky stairs. On the last landing from which I could see the narrow strip of sky, I looked up two great golden planets watched me. I groaned and went on. I felt the crooks of this underworld soon shut all out like a coffin lid. My love was dead. My friend was murdered. I cursed aloud. I followed Tonkel and Sing only by the strained tension of my nerves. Through which I saw him in the dark as plain as if in light, and heard him muttering in Chinese, monotonous as the shrilling of the wind far overhead. He went in at a door, through a long passage that had a strange smell that made me feel faint, the smell of death. Till after a moment's pause, as if to make sure he was right in giving me a warning touch, he opened a door into a dimly lighted den, while the sickening scent grew worse. Siki, he called. What was this ghostly form, white as a skeleton, which slowly glimmered through the gloom before my amazed eyes? Dizzy from the fetid scent, yet, held by my horrors by transfixing spear, with failing heart and quaking limbs, I saw the ghastly figure cross the rotten, slimy floor toward us. My dream, my dream, I murmured, as I clung to Tonkel and Sing for support. An awful voice, discordant as a Chinese gong, the hollow voice of a leper, a voice unearthly, as if we had been shades met in another world, cried, "Between us two, between us two." End of section eight.